Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Dr. Jonathan de Berka Butler here to bring the stories from other parts of the world. Afternoon, Sean. Jonathan. How are you getting on? Uh, right, Paris. Uh, we're going to go to first, and this is an interesting one because the old e-scooter uh, has become a, a very divisive uh, a kind of a, a, a mode of transport in in this country as well. What are they thinking about doing in Paris? They're considering a ban. Now, when we're talking about considering banning e-scooters, these are the ones that are rented out a little bit like the Dublin bike scheme or indeed the Paris bike scheme that they have there. So there's three companies that operate in Paris at the moment and there's a fleet of around 15,000 e-scooters that are available to people who sign up to, to pick up and scoot around the place on. Their contracts were given to them three years ago, but they're coming up for renewal in February of 2023, right? So the mayor, a woman by the name of Anne Hidalgo, is being urged to consider getting rid of them altogether, right? There's various different arguments on both sides of the equation, but the main argument, or at least the one that's kind of leading the charge, is that quite a few people have died this year as a result of accidents either with e-scooters or you know because of e-scooters 24 people died sorry last year in France alone and one of those was in Paris now that number has gone up over the years so it was 7 uh, in 2020 and there was 10 in 2019 mm. there are other arguments as well so people are sort of saying that you know they're you know, obviously there's a, there's quite a few deaths, but there are an awful lot of accidents. Three hundred and thirty-seven so far this year, apparently. And how does that compare with, say, anyone who's like been in Paris? They drive like lunatics, yeah, well, but exactly. like we, we, compared with cars or motorbikes. Well, this is what the operators, or at least one of the operators, the e-scooters, are saying. They're saying that uh, you see fewer fatal incidents in per ride bases than bikes, and far fewer than mopeds or cars and the likes right. of that. Okay. okay, and they're saying that it's understandable that the numbers of accidents and deaths are going up because people are using them more. And then they pivot to basically saying, and that's good for the environment. Now, that is another, there's a counter argument to that again, which is, you know, okay, the people that are using e-scooters, are these the kind of people that normally jump into a Mercedes-Benz or whatever gas guzzler and drive into the centre of Paris from the suburbs? Probably not, all right? So at the moment, the mayor is undecided, right? The council are going to vote on it and that will be an indicative vote, right? Ultimately, the mayor has to make the decision. And she's basically released a statement saying, we're asking ourselves about the cost-benefit ratio of these machines. Now, it's interesting the way, you know, by saying these machines is kind of depersonalising them, you know, mm. in that particular <laughs> statement yeah. and othering them in many, in many ways. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Uh, so, so it'll be interesting to see how it goes. In the meantime, the three companies that operate the e-scooters have been asked to come up with proposals, you know, to maybe make them a little bit safer uh, and more user-friendly in terms of uh, what I mean is, you know, interactions with pedestrians and the like. Um, and they've come up with one or two, which is, you know, number plates, uh, age restrictions, which probably should have been put in place at the beginning, let's be honest. Mm. Um, and th- those kind of things. So it remains to be seen how it'll go. And uh, we'll know in February. Yeah. OK. But uh, 24 people died yeah. last year. Is that in Paris or all of France? No, the whole country. One, it was one in Paris. Yeah. So that doesn't seem like... A, um a, a tremendously a alarming figure yeah. uh, at one of the, especially for the only the only vehicle they're considering is the one that doesn't have a, a, an environmental impact, which is kind of weird. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think for an awful lot of people, it is the fact that they are so unpoliced. 
There's yes. no rules yeah. around them. People up on pavements. Nobody knows where they can or can't go. And uh, if it was better policed, and this is one of the arguments that the e-scooter companies have come out with, well, then, you know, we might be better off and everybody would be better off. They're prepared to go the extra mile on that. I suppose if they're going to lose their contract, they're yes. prepared to go <laughs> to any mile. Right. The US we're going to go to uh, next and uh, specifically the uh, University of Virginia where uh, footballers have been shot and killed. Yeah. I, to be honest, I could have picked any number of shootings from the United States this week. It's been it's mm, been awful. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, this involves a 22-year-old student by the name of Christopher Darnell Jones Jr., he was coming back uh, on a coach with his teammates. Uh, they all played football for the University of Virginia. Uh, they were on a field trip. They went to the theatre, apparently, in Washington, D.C. And as they were approaching the university, he decides to get up out, out of his seat, uh, took out a gun and shot five people. Now, three of those people have died. One of them is fighting for his life in hospital at the moment, and the other one went to hospital but has since been discharged. We don't have... Um, a motive at this moment in time, but there is a few things that have come out since he was arrested and since he's been charged, in fact. Uh, One is that he had been involved, he'd been charged and convicted in 2021 of reckless driving and a hit and run, and also he faced a concealed weapons charge that same year. Now, he'd been sentenced to a year in prison, but that was suspended, and he didn't disclose this to the university, which apparently he should have done, right? They spoke to him about it, he wasn't very cooperative. In the meantime, he had spoken to one of his own classmates about a gun that he had on campus. That classmate reported this to the authorities in the University of, of Virginia, and then they sort of scaled up the disciplinary procedures to make them more official, right? So he was mm-hmm. he was in the dock, effectively, in the university, and at the same time, there appears to be accusations of bullying against him. Now, these accusations came from his father, who was interviewed after the shooting took place. You know, the way they doorstep, you know, media yes, over their doorstep, course, yeah. their relations straight after these shootings have happened. He wasn't making an excuse for it. He, he sort of apologised for the, son, the actions of his sons and what appears to have happened. Um, but he did say that there was bullying going on. Witnesses who saw the shootings happening on the bus say that he targeted these five people. He even shot one of the people while he was sleeping. Um, oh. So there appears to be some sort of premeditation involved here. Uh, as individuals or because they were football players? I I, I don't know because, yeah, again, yeah, we're, we we're only speculating the, yeah. on what the motive is, whether they these were the bullies or the alleged bullies or whether it was something to do with what was going on with the university. I know that, again, from his background, when he was in high school, he was an A student. He was the, you know, the... the Great, the great kid on the football pitch. He went to university, I think, on a scholarship, got injured in his first year there, and he hasn't played much on the team since, ah, right. although he's still okay. part of the squad. Now, whether that's part and parcel of his apparent unru- unravelling, if we look at the hit and run and then the concealed weapons charge in 2021 that preceded this, uh, we can't really say, but uh, something obviously drove him to this, uh, to, these, um, yeah. to this tragic conclusion. And now... Yeah, yeah. It's hard to kind of wonder why someone would escalate it to that degree, but would know they're ruining their own life. They're, yeah, they're utterly destroying their own yeah. life. Uh, right, Australia. We're going to go to next, and uh, no more Deliveroo in Australia. Where, yeah. where did it go horribly it, wrong? It, it's funny, like in the land of the kangaroo, and Deliveroo is quitting the Australian market. Um, it is, as far as I know, a British uh, company uh, has. Uh, deliveries all over the world of course and was in the Australian market for a number of years 
but it only it's there was a few reasons why it's leaving right it said first of all that it's global gross transaction value right the percentage of that which is its turnover i suppose in australia was only 3% of its global turnover right so it was small okay. they said they hadn't eaten into the competition's uh, competition they were up against other companies like uber eats and uh, hungry panda and other companies like that as well and they said it had come to the point now where basically it, it was costing them more to do business in Australia than to stay there. They pointed to market factors, the current crisis in the cost of living, and also the fact that people are not at home as much, so they're not spending as much money on takeaways since the, the end of the pandemic. Right, yes. So that's a big yeah. factor. Not a big factor in every market. They're still doing well in the UK and Ireland, uh, quite uh, quite interestingly. Um, but that's what they said. They, they're also pulling out of the Netherlands, as far as I know. Um, so, uh, And that is also due to low market share. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in the rest of the world. Um, as I said, they're still doing okay in the UK and Ireland, but they're dragging a bit in, in other markets, apparently. Yeah. Uh, it, well, I mean, it, it probably varies from territory to territory how much they pay the uh, the delivery people. Is that a factor? Well, yeah, it's interesting you, you, you brought that into it because it it could be a factor in Australia. The Australians are having a look now at this particular industry and looking at regulating it in terms of, you know, minimum wage for the riders, uh, terms and conditions and all that kind of thing. I think Uber did a deal with the Transport Workers Union back in June and they're setting up an independent body that's going to be run by the government to look at this, right? So Deliveroo had a case in May of this year where they had fired a rider for being too slow, okay, mm. in his deliveries. And they brought that uh, case, that was heard in front of the Fair Work Commission, right? And the Fair Work Commission found in favour of the employee, said that he was dealt with uh, in a harsh and unjust and unreasonable manner, found in his favour. Now, it was eventually overturned, but perhaps Deliveroo saw the writing on the wall and said, look, we're not making money here. There's hassle coming down the tracks with mm. pay and conditions. Might be better to get out of the market. Yeah, that is interesting. That is an, an interesting change. But I suppose that the, particularly the cost of living is going to uh, hit many industries mm. that way. Uh, right. Uh, the uh, Syria, I suppose, is where this is happening. That's, yeah. That Turkey is now being uh, uh, dropping bombs in Syria. Yes, this happened as a result of uh, a bombing that took place in Istanbul last Sunday week. So it was a huge bomb. Six people were killed. 81 people were wounded in the centre of Istanbul. Um, Biggest attack in Turkey on Turkish soil, or biggest terrorist attack on Turkish soil in about five or six years, I'd say. You remember there was a spate of them in between 2015 and 2017 Mm, that were claimed by various different people. The government of Turkey have put the blame squarely at the feet of the PKK, which is the Kurdistan Workers' Party. As as you know, we've spoken about them before. Yeah. And a group that they say is their affiliate, which is the YPG. Okay, these are the sort of Syrian uh, equivalent of the PKK in many respects. Okay, yeah, okay. Uh, have, uh, very much involved in Kurdish politics. The Turkish authorities have decided that it was the YPG who ordered this particular bombing in Istanbul and they have retaliated and retaliated with some fire. They've hit 89 targets in total across northern Syria and northern Iraq, right? So northern Iraq is where the PKK work out of northern Syria, YPG. 89 targets, right? Shelters, bunkers, caves, tunnels, ammunition, depots, all sorts of different things. And they said they've taken out, quote, many terrorists uh, targets, all right? So many terrorist people were neutralised. 31, we believe, have been killed so far. 
it's thought that at least 10 or 11 of those are civilians although the turkish government are saying you know we're always we're 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 not we always discriminate when it comes to our targets you know mm. we don't just lash the lash the bombs in there but of course there's always going to be civilian casualties when you go into densely populated villages and try and take out targets uh, and was this in syria proper rather than you know the the, the de facto kurdistan yeah yeah, yeah. yeah it it was in the de facto kurdistan and and Erdogan has been threatening for years, I suppose, at this stage, but he, he's, he's ramped up those threats now since about April or May of this year, saying that he's going to go in there into Syria and take those areas. Because he's basically saying, look, if this stuff sorry, starts again, we, we need to protect ourselves. And it, it is, I don't want to say an excuse, but I'm going to say an excuse anyway, a good excuse for him to go in and take land that's on the Turkish border and and stop what he sees as as the Kurds uh, operating from um, there. Um, well, and and the Kurds on the Turkish side of the border yeah. are asking for the same thing, yeah. essentially. Yeah, um, absolutely. Now it yeah. should be said that both of them have denied uh, the the bombing in Istanbul. Right. Uh, they're saying nothing to do with either of us. Um, I don't know if that's normal for them. I, I think normally yeah. they would claim it, to be honest with you. So uh, This is an interesting one now. Sierra Leone uh, has uh, passed a bill about uh, female representation in, in politics there. Yeah, I thought this was interesting just because in the last number of years, Sierra Leone, population of about 7.5 million, hasn't been doing particularly well in terms of women's rights. You remember when the Ebola crisis happened, mm. schools were closed and because people weren't earning an awful lot of money, daughters were at home and daughters were being sent out to, to act as prostitutes effectively and bring income into the country. So after the Ebola crisis ended, there was an upsurge in pregnancies uh, amongst school children and uh, the government decided to ban young girls who were pregnant from going to school. Now, they overturned that in 2015 and I suppose since then they've been trying to do one or two things to involve women in society more, right? And this is a good measure, really. Okay, okay mm. Let's not say it's the the best they could have done, but it's certainly a step in the right direction, right? So the Parliament has unanimously approved legislation that will ensure that a third of its members, a third of all local councillors, and crucially, I think, at least 30% of cabinet posts will be given to women um, in the next in the next round of elections and the like. Now, at the moment, there's only 19 women out of 146 MPs um, there. So it will at least double that, if not a little bit more, um, when these rules come in. Yeah. Uh, are, is there any, uh, are there any indications of how they will put this into, uh, into place? If, if, if you have two thirds plus one man, do you say to that one man, sorry, you're, you know, you can't win that seat or how it, are, what's the mechanism? Yeah, it's a, this? it's a good question. I don't know. I suppose they'll have to examine how it works in other, in other places. I don't know. Rwanda might be a good place to look at. They, what they have a 50, 50 split as far as I know. Mm. Um, but no, that's a good question. I don't yeah. know. I yeah. have to be honest. Right. What should we look out for over the next few days? A uh, few things coming up. Um, I, Putin, as far as I know, anyway, hasn't been seen for a while uh, publicly since Actually, he... They're always saying he's dead half the time, yeah. <laughs> it's like that Paul McCartney speech uh, thing from yeah, years yeah. ago. Yeah, not quite the same. But anyway, yeah, he's going to turn up in Armenia, apparently, uh, where he's going to participate in a summit of the Collective Security Treaty Organization in person, which is one of, another one of those organizations, mm. which is basically Russia just keeping an eye on its neighbours uh, and telling them what to do. An interesting one down in Damascus, we were just speaking about Syria, but um, Damascus, the Prime Minister of Belarus, 
uh, Roman Govolchenko is going to visit Syria and sign different economic and various trade agreements with the Syrian government there, which is is an interesting sort of uh, <laughs> Like if your friends are Belarus, what does that say about well, you? Absolutely. You know? um, and then next Tuesday, uh, keeping with the same theme around Russia, I suppose, uh, NATO foreign ministers are meeting in Bucharest to discuss everything that's going on in Russia and Ukraine. Jonathan, thanks a million. Thanks, As ever, Jonathan uh, DeBarca Butler there. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2 p.m. on News Talk.